kids to come on up front and have a seat up here. Kids, come on forward. Find a spot to sit. All right. You guys can hear me, right? Good. Good, good. All right. So right now, I don't know if you guys know, but the Winter Olympics are happening right now. Raise your hand if anybody's watched any of the Winter Olympics. Okay, a lot of you. Good. So, but I want to talk this morning a little bit about a summer Olympic activity, okay? And it's called the high jump. The high jump is an activity where you run a little bit and you jump and you try to jump high over a bar and you kind of flip over backwards because that's how you can get the highest. So there's a guy doing the high jump, jumping over that bar. And the bar keeps getting raised higher and higher. If you get over it, the bar goes higher until you knock the bar off. You can't go any higher. All right? So the world record for the high jump, that means that the tallest that anybody has ever done it is eight feet tall. Do you know how high that is? That's about this tall. 96 inches is the, the report, okay? <laughs> Eight feet tall. Do you, think you could, do you think you could jump and get your whole body over that? No, that's pretty high. Only one person in the world has ever done it before. So that's pretty tough. In the Bible, God sets a high standard for us to live by. In fact, his standard, what God requires is absolute perfect. He requires us to be perfect. We can't fall short even once. It would be, for us, it'd be like if that high jump bar was like 100 feet tall or 1,000 feet tall, right? It'd be way, way up there. Could you ever jump over 100 feet all by yourself without any help? No, nobody could do that, could they? That's impossible. But thankfully, there was one person who did live a perfect life. Who was that? Jesus, right? Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect, he was in perfect holiness and righteousness. And, and then he went to the cross and he died in our place for our sin, right? But then he was raised to life again. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him, God looks at us as if we lived perfectly. He treats us like we've jumped over that 100-foot high bar. That's how he treats us. But even after we come to faith, even after we are are saved in that way, God still calls us. He still requires a life of holiness for us. He wants us to live separately apart for him. And so when we read in the Bible how we're supposed to live, sometimes it can still seem like that 100-foot high jump bar. We're going to see that again today as we talk about deacons and how deacons are supposed to live. We're supposed to live. It can seem impossible. But when we see that in the Bible, it gives us something to work towards. We can be moving and growing in that direction that God calls us to. But we still can't get there on our own. We're not strong enough. We don't have enough strength and power. Okay, we still can't do it on our own. We still need God's continual work in our lives to move us that way. So when you hear from God's Word, from the Bible, and you hear this standard of holiness that God calls us to live, that's a good time to take some time to pray and to ask God to help work those things in your life so that you can live more and more holy, more and more set apart for God. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit more about this this morning. You can go back to your seat and have a seat.
Okay, we're going to try this microphone again, and hopefully it'll be working in this position here for us. All right, if you could uh, grab a Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. First Timothy chapter 3, we are in uh, the middle of a series on deacons as part of us uh, looking to implement deacons here at, at Pine Grove. Uh, this is a process that will take place over a number of months until we actually have that uh, established, deacons established. Uh, last week, Pastor Jeremy gave kind of the big picture on deacons. Uh, he presented the biblical office and the function of deacons within a church. <clears throat> uh, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and, and listen through that message. And then today, uh, we're going to be looking at qualifications of deacons. Um, so we're going to think through a couple things today. First, we're going to consider who in our church might serve in this capacity. All right? Who are these people to provide this adequate care for the body uh, as God has laid out? What do they look like? What is their character? Secondly, as we do that, um, we also want to think of our own personal individual growth and maturing in Christ. Um, what does our, our growing in godliness, godly character look like? And so we'll bring some personal application uh, to each of us along the way. So let's pray together, and then we'll uh, jump into our scripture here. Father God, thank you for your word that you've given to us once again, that we can open this morning and read and, and uh, dive into and, and learn from. We ask that your spirit would give us insight and understanding this morning. And we also pray that you would bring about uh, personal application for each one here, that we would be conformed more into the image of Christ, that we would live our lives more for you and for your glory. So we uh, surrender ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in First Timothy chapter 3. Uh, being of chapter 3 lists qualifications for elders, and we're going to start in verse 8 uh, as we read qualifications for deacons in the church. 1 Timothy 3, 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So last week, Pastor Jeremy was in uh, Acts chapter 6 when the, this uh, role of deacon was kind of first established. We saw that the apostles in Acts chapter 6, as well as Paul here in 1 Timothy, both insist that those serving in this capacity, this office of deacon, uh, that they meet certain moral and spiritual qualifications. All right? Let me ask you this. Would you entrust the care of your children to those who had some pretty questionable character? Of course not. You wouldn't do that, right? You want somebody who has a proven record of faithfulness, someone who has the right heart and the right character and some good skill to carry out that task, right? And it's no different uh, when it comes to the care of God's people in the church. We want people with good character and people who are qualified. And so there's a need for good, qualified deacons. 
You know, the evaluation of, of deacons, and, and we'll include elders in that, is, is way more important than the evaluation of a building, right? Terry talked about us looking at building options uh, this morning. That's, that's good. We need to consider that. But the evaluation of the, the elders and the deacons serving in the church is way more important. The building is just a tool. It's a resource that we use to do ministry. But the ministry happens through people. And so the character of the leaders within the church is of utmost importance. It matters greatly. As we read through this passage here, we read that the words must be multiple times in this passage. We see that in verse 8. Uh, we see it in verse 9. We see it in verse 11. Must be. And it's implied throughout the test, text that these characteristics must be there. There's an insistence on these qualifications. So the church must have deacons along with elders who fully meet these biblical qualifications. There can't be any compromise here. It would be a hindrance, a, a danger to the church. We can't take it lightly. Right? If we get unqualified people in these positions, the result is, is significant and long-term consequence. Right? But if we get good, rightly qualified people in these positions, then the result is, is significant as well. It's long-term blessing for years and years within the church. And so it's, it's of utmost importance. Um, so we have to, have to make sure that we hold to biblical standards in these evaluations. And throughout the process uh, here at Pine Grove, as we look to implement deacons, this is a new thing for us, it's critical that we hold to this high standard, high biblical standard, as we initiate and, and establish deacons at, at Pine Grove. So as we look at these qualifications of deacons here, uh, there's some specific, th- specific things listed out, and it's listed for deacons, um, but they're good for, for all of us to consider in our own lives as well, all these qualifications, these characteristics. So as we go through these, don't just think, well, I'll never be a deacon, so this, this isn't for me. Instead, consider how it might apply to you in your circumstances, in your stage of life, in your personal growth. So for you young men, juniors, senior high students, consider how you can grow and mature in your walk with Christ as we look at these characteristics. For older men, consider how you can develop more consistency in these areas in your life. For women, there'll be some things for you along the way too, some things for you to consider how you can grow in godly character as well. So it's also interesting in Scripture that we're told more about who deacons are to be than what they are to do, right? Again, it's that character qualities that are of utmost importance. We see a lot of what deacons are to be, not as much about what they are to do. So we have to hold to these character qualifications. So first thing we see here, looking at verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, that word dignified means to be respectable or honorable, means to be revered or esteemed. And so these are men of integrity. They're men who are self-controlled. They live a life of consistency. There are not big questions surrounding their character. There's not big wonderings about what's really going on in their life. There's a consistency that's evident, that's there. So they must be dignified. So here's some questions for each of you to consider. Are these things true of you? Do you have a respectable character? Next thing we see here, deacons must 
not be double-tongued. Double-tongued means to be deceitful. It's saying one thing here and another thing over here. It's being manipulative with your words. Your words can't really be trusted. People aren't really sure if you're going to hold to it. There's a lack of credibility in what you say. This might mean you're kind of a people pleaser. You tell this person what they want to hear over here and this person what they want to hear over here just to keep everyone happy. You, you aren't really willing to say the hard things that might need to be said. And so we see here that deacons are not to be double-tongued. Instead, they are to be sincere and truthful. They're to be men of their word. There's truthfulness in their speech and what they say. These men are men who say what they mean and mean what they say. Their yes means yes and their no means no. There's follow-through on what they say. They say they're going to do something. You can trust that it's going to get done and it'll be done in a timely manner. They're not double-tongued, but their, their speech is sincere and truthful. So here are the questions for, for you to consider. Are these things, again, true of you? Do you have truthfulness in what you say? Are your words trustworthy and reliable? Can other people depend on you and the things that you are saying? The next qualification we see here, that deacons must not be addicted to much wine. So this word addicted means to hold on to or be devoted to. In other words, it's saying that, that uh, alcohol should not be a controlling factor in your life. Right? And we have to be careful with, with the use of alcohol as it can have a destructive power to it. We read that in uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 1. It says this, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Right? So there's a wise use of alcohol. It's not being led astray. Right? Overindulgence will hinder one's ability to serve God's people within the church. Right? So here's a question for you today. Is anybody going out to lunch after, after church this morning? All right? Okay, some of you are. Now, if you are going out to, to lunch after uh, service here, are you going to want a server, uh, a waiter who comes and is drunk when he shows up at your table? Right? Someone who doesn't really have their mind about them, somebody who doesn't know the menu well, they can't get your order right, the table is left dirty from the previous people, All right? they charge you too much for your meal, you just aren't well served. How does that sound? Not real good, right? Not real great. So here's the next question. Would you want somebody like that to be serving you within the church? Of course not. Of course not. That's not what we want. So here we see a deacon cannot have a drinking problem. He cannot be captivated or devoted to alcohol. doesn't mean he can never have a drink, but it can't be a controlling factor in his life. Right? And we can apply this to other addictions as well. Obviously, there are a whole variety of addiction, addictions, smoking, prescription drugs, food, a whole variety of things. So a deacon must have self-control in these areas. He must be free from addiction in these things. So how about for you? Do you have an addiction of some kind, great or small? Is there an overindulgence of something that you just can't let go of? Next qualification we see here, deacons must not be greedy for dishonest gain. So part of the role of deacons in the church is to handle money. 
That's, that's part of their responsibility is, is to handle money, God's provision through you, his people. And so if those handling the money are greedy, this could cause great problems within the church, right? Think about the disciple Judas, right? In John chapter 12, uh, we read this. Here, here's what he said. So after um, Mary had anointed Jesus with the, the ointment, this expensive ointment, here's what Judas said, one of the disciples of Jesus. He said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's a good question, right? But here's the next verse. The next verse says, Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He was greedy for dishonest gain, right? Do you want somebody like that serving as a deacon at Pine Grove? Certainly not, right? In Matthew chapter 21, we read about Jesus and his cleansing of the temple, right? Because there was greedy people there, buying and selling, taking advantage of others, changing money, right? And Jesus said that they had turned the place of worship into a den of robbers. They were robbing people. They were greedy for dishonest gain. Are those the type of people we want serving at Pine Grove in the deacon role? Certainly not. So deacons must have a financial integrity, some financial wisdom, right? They're content with God's provision through their hard work uh, in their own lives. They're not in great amounts of debt. They don't have credit cards that are maxed out. They aren't caught up in, in gambling because of greed or financial indebtedness. They're tithing. They're giving regularly to uh, the church. They're generous with their resources and their talents. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. So here's some questions again for you to consider in this area. Do you live with financial integrity? Are you content with your finances? Are you contributing regularly and generously to the church? Not greedy for dishonest gain. The next thing we see here is that deacons, uh, verse 9, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they hold the mystery of faith. It simply means they keep hold of the biblical truths that are centered around the gospel. They know the gospel, not just theologically, not just a head knowledge, not just able to recite something, but they they also know it practically in their own lives. Deacons have been transformed by the gospel the Savior who has come and died for their sin, been raised to life again. This, this Savior, Jesus, is real to them. He's transformed them. He has personal significance for them in their lives. And not only have they been transformed, past tense, but they continue to be transformed by this gospel. It says they, they hold this mystery of faith with a clear conscience. This is just indicating that there is not any known unconfessed sin in their life. There's nothing in the back of their mind uh, where they know they're living opposed to God in a certain way, but they're not really caring to do anything about it. They're just kind of leaving it there, ignoring it, knowing it's there. Right? That would not be a, a clear conscience. That would be an impure conscience. A deacon's daily life is to be consistent with Christian doctrine. So questions that we should ask as we evaluate 
potential men for, for deacons, we should ask, does the gospel affect his life? Right? Is his life in line with what we see in Scripture? Is he growing and maturing in faith? Look back for a second at chapter 1 in 1 Timothy, and look at verse 18. Paul says this, he's writing to Timothy, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I handed over. So Paul names some specific individuals here who have shipwrecked their faith. Why? Because they didn't hold the faith with a good conscience. That's what he's saying, right? They've, they've let go of this. You could probably name some people who fit this category too, people that you know, right? People who know the truth but instead choose to follow their own desires. People who live contrary to the Word of God. People who have basically shipwrecked their faith. They've thrown it away for their own selfish desires and their own sin. This cannot be so for deacons, right? Deacons must be people who live consistently, obediently to biblical truth. They must be good models for others of a life lived for Christ. Their belief and their behavior must be in line and line up with God's Word, with Scripture. So here's some questions for you to consider personally. Do you have a clear conscience? Or is there sin that you haven't dealt with? Is there a known sin that you haven't confessed and repented of? You're just letting it sit there, overlooking it. Right? Is the gospel continually transforming your life? Do you have a consistent faith walk with Jesus? Now notice here as we've looked through these in these first couple of verses, again, that all of these things listed here are character qualifications, right? They're character qualifications. A deacon here doesn't say has to be a successful businessman, right? He doesn't have to have a great amount of wealth stored up. He doesn't need to be popular in the, in the community, right? He doesn't have to have tremendous skill in certain areas. These are character qualifications, Deacons have a spiritual ministry in the church, as Pastor Jeremy shared last week. Even though they're serving, they're doing practical helps, it's a spiritual ministry. And so good deacons are those who have proven godly character. The next thing we see here that deacons are to be tested, right? There's a testing time for potential deacons. Look at verse 10. It says, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So these potential deacons are, are, are to be tested. They're to have proven integrity. This takes place over time, right? It's not a quick thing, but there's a showing of a consistent faith walk. There's to be no major sin, no unrepentant sin that's there. Right? Deacons uh, are going to be working with people in need. Right? As they visit people, the sick, and the, the, those who need help, they're going to be caring for vulnerable people, for people who are weak and hurting, for those needing help. And so they'll have opportunity to take advantage of others. That opportunity could be there. And so this is why they need to be tested first. 
They must have a proven faithfulness in a variety of circumstances before they're allowed to become a deacon. Flip over to chapter 5. First uh, Timothy 5 and verse 22, we read about this as, as Paul continues to give instruction for how things are to be done in the church. Verse 22, he says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. So we could be hasty in this. We could say, okay, there's a congregational vote, we approve deacons, and the next day we've got lots of guys lined up and ready to go, right? That would be quick to lay on hands. They'd be quick in installing deacons. We're not going to do that. It's going to be a process that, that takes time. When a name is brought forth as a potential candidate for a deacon, we're going to think about it. We're going to pray over it. We're going to move very carefully and cautiously. There'll be a time of testing, of, of questioning and evaluating. The evaluating process is not specific in Scripture, right? All it says here is they must be tested. It doesn't list out all the specifics of how that's to be done. And so that's up to us through uh, wisdom and prayer and Scripture to, to figure out what that looks like. Uh, you'll see some of that process laid out in the proposed bylaws. Uh, the elders are going to be overseeing the, the uh, selection along with congregational involvement in the process. Uh, again, there'll be that time of examination and questioning and testing and after that, if, if somebody proves faithful, then they'll be approved and, and installed by the elders. Right? Again, if we were to install somebody as an elder who is not biblically qualified, they were not ready for the role, it could bring great harm to the church. And we want to be very careful to protect you, protect the body of Christ in this. And so we need to take that appropriate amount of time. So what are the things we need to test? Well, the things we listed here, these characteristics, right? We're going to look at the the moral character and the godly conduct. We're going to test their spiritual life and walk with Christ, their personal background, their reputation. We're going to test their theology and look at their actual service in the church. How have they been serving? How are they involved? How are they loving and caring for, for others in the body? And so these men must have proven character that's proven over time before being allowed to serve in a deacon role, right? Look again at verse 10, right? They are to be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. We're not going to implement deacons and then see if they're matching the qualifications. They need to be tested first. It says, let them serve if they prove themselves blameless. This word blameless is similar to uh, above reproach that's used for elders up in in verse 2 of chapter 3. This above reproach, it doesn't mean that they are completely without sin. That's not possible. It doesn't mean that they never fall short. It doesn't mean absolute perfection. But it does mean that they're free from accusation. There are no big accusations that can be made against this person. They're living a, a godly life. They're living a consistent life. No reasonable charge can be brought against them. And so then if, after this testing times, to determine that a man lives in this behavior, he's proven blameless, he's proven free from accusation, then he should be allowed to serve in this role of, of deacon. But the testing must come first here. So as we go on to the next verse, we're going to look at qualifications for a deacon's wife. Now before we do that, you'll see the first uh, word or two 
in this verse 11 is their wives. Your version may uh, be translated a little different. This word here in the, in the Greek, the word there is not in the Greek, in the original language. And so this word means wives or women, okay? Um, so it could be used either way. As we mentioned last week, this passage, along with other parts in Scripture, can make a case for deaconesses or female deacons. However, here at Pine Grove, we believe that from this passage, as well as others, that the office of deacon is only for men. And so that's how we will, will operate. Um, so we look at this, and we believe this is talking about the wives of those who would serve as deacons. Okay, So the wives of deacons. So as we do that, the question would come up, why would there be character requirements for the wives of deacons, right? That's, that's a good question. And what seems to be implied here is that a godly wife would, be, uh, would add practical support for her deacon husband, right? It's assumed here that kind of wives are involved in this ministry of caring for the, the, the needy in the church, okay? The task, some of the tasks of deacons will include doing home visits and physical care for people. And so it just makes sense that wives would be uh, involved in these things along with their husband at times. Um, in Proverbs 31, verse 20, as it speaks about a godly wife, it says this. It says, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Right? There's, there's practical helps here, acts of practically caring for others within the church. And so these wives won't have an official position, but they can be a great help to their husbands in caring for those in need. And that godly wife who serves alongside her husband is a great gift, not only to her husband, but, but also to the, to the church. So look with me at verse 11. Here's what it says. Character qualifications for wives. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So again, we see this word must be, right? These are must be's. We can't compromise on them. So these wives, first of all, must be dignified. And that's the same word as we saw previously for deacons or her husband, right? Respectable. So she must be respectable, honorable, uh, revered and esteemed. This wife is a woman of integrity, just like her husband. She's self-controlled. She lives a life of consistency, right? There's not a big question surrounding her character or her behavior. So again, same questions for you to consider here. Are these things true of you? Do you have a respectable character? Next thing we see here for wives, uh, that she must not be slanderers, must not be slanderers. This word slanderers means malicious. It actually means kind of devilish, right? This term that's used here for slander is actually used as a title for Satan, the devil, as in the slanderer. He is the slanderer. So slander, tearing down of others, false accusations, spreading rumors, dishing out criticism, gossip, it's all of the devil. It's all devilish. It's all in line with his plan and what he desires to accomplish. There's nothing good in any of it. It just causes hurt and divide. It causes great harm within the church. So we have to be careful with these things as we consider deacons and their wives. Proverbs 10 and verse 18 says, Whoever utters slander is a fool, 
And Proverbs, the, and the word fool in Proverbs is one who is just ungodly, not honoring God. They're a fool. The wife of a deacon must not engage in this. There's no place for this in the ministry of the church. And so a deacon's wife has to be one who has control over her tongue. She must speak wisely and lovingly. She must speak what is true and right and lovely. She uses words that lift up and encourage those who are hurting in, in, in a time of need. So questions for you to consider here. Are there ways in which you are slanderous of others? Do your words tear apart or do they build others up? Is your speech filled with godliness? Next, deacon's wives must be sober-minded. The wife of a deacon is clear-headed. She has good judgment. She makes good decisions. She has a stable character. She's not all over the place. She's not jumping from one thing to the next to the next. She has mental and emotional stability. She's not given to extreme highs or extreme lows and thoughts or emotions. She's sober-minded. So question for you, are you sober-minded in that way? Are you stable and steady in your thinking? Do you avoid those highs and lows emotionally? Next thing we see here, deacons' wives must be faithful, trustworthy, reliable. Again, this word is similar to that blameless or the above reproach word, nothing major against you. This wife is loyal and dependable. Dependable, and she's faithful, it says here, how? In all things, right? In all areas of life. She just has a faithfulness to her. She's faithful to God. She's faithful to her husband, her family. She's faithful, faithful to her friends and those in the church. She's faithful in every relationship. She's not one who is disobedient to God's word. She doesn't neglect her family. She's not flirtatious with other men who aren't her husband. She's not selfish in her decision-making. She's faithful. She's steady. She's reliable. She's trustworthy. So how about you? Are you faithful to all that God has called you to, to all that he has given you? Are you loyal and dependable? So as you look at these qualifications for the wife of a deacon, a wife who does not possess these qualities could undermine the service of her husband to the church, right? His ministry could suffer. Again, it could cause great harm to the church. And so, therefore, we must be careful as we consider these things. We have to evaluate a husband, but we also need to look at these qualifications of a wife, too. Next year in verse 12, we see some family requirements for one who would serve as a deacon, some family requirements. Throughout Scripture, we see the importance of marriage and family. Again, Satan has relentless attack on marriages and family today. Uh, they're being torn apart with great consequence, more than we can probably surmise. And this is why family requirements are so important for the church. God's people are to be unlike the world and more like Jesus. We're to be different. We're to be set apart. We're to be holy. We are light and darkness. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. And so church leaders need to be good models of Christian husbands and fathers. This is why a deacon's home needs to be in order. 
right? If the deacon's home is falling apart, how could he care well for the church? Within the church, godly marriages and families bring about tremendous blessings. So that's what we desire. So verse 12, here's what it says. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So first thing in family, they must be the husband of one wife. Now, as soon as we say that, all kinds of questions can be raised. What about this situation? What about that circumstance? This passage doesn't address that specifically, just like it doesn't with the other qualifications. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on all those questions this morning. We can talk about that at a different time. But this is a general qualification statement, which we take along with the whole of Scripture and, and with prayer in our evaluation. But here's the point. Let's not miss the point here. The point is this. Deacons are to be faithful and true to one woman. That's the point here. Faithful and true to one woman. There's no deviation from faithful, monogamous marriage. God has created one man to be united with one woman. And so if there's any question, any questionable relationship outside of your marriage, you're not qualified to be a deacon. If there's emotional bonding taking place outside of your marriage, you're not qualified. If there's sexual gratification outside of your marriage, you're not qualified to be in this role of deacon. If you're not biblically loving and serving your wife, you're not qualified to be in this role of deacon. Look up at chapter 2 in 1 Timothy here. 1 Timothy 2, look at verse 5. It says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So there's one. There's only one God is what this verse is saying. And just like there is only one God, there is to be only one woman for you, your wife. Right? Think about the vows you took at your marriage, at your wedding ceremony, right? What, what were you asked? Okay, you were asked, probably asked this. Do you promise to love her and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And, those things are important too, and forsaking all others, be faithful only to her. That's the one woman, being committed and devoted to one woman. That's how a deacon is to view his wife. There's only one woman for him. All others are to be forsaken in sight of her. And so here's the questions to consider. Do you consider your wife the only woman for you? Do you love her and serve her well? Are you living in sexual purity? Is your wife the focus of all of your attention? The next family requirement we see here is that A deacon is to manage his children and household well. Deacons are to be responsible Christian fathers. They need to provide active leadership in their homes. Their children need to obey and submit to his leadership, his authority in the home. These men need to be providing for their families spiritually, emotionally, physically. They need to be leading and guiding. He needs to be loving and caring. He needs to be uplifting and affirming. We're not going to go into greater detail. Um, Two weeks ago, we preached on fathers in the home, so I encourage you to go to the website and listen to that. A lot more detail there. But a man's ability to 
to manage the church will be directly related to his ability to manage his household. Right? Again, if, a, if he can't care properly for his family at home, how is he going to care properly for God's people in the church? So managing children and household well, here's your questions to consider. Are you leading your family well? Right? In your home, is there peace and harmony? Or is there chaos and discord? Is the environment of your home a, a joyful, loving place to be? So as we wrap this up, I want you to, to understand this. The purpose of this message isn't to, to put this pressure on each of you of this 100-foot high bar, uh, high jump bar. That's not the point of this. But it's to call each of us to a greater holiness before our God, to have growth in our lives as we consider these things. It's also help us identify men within Pine Grove who would fulfill this office of, of deacon. So when we look for deacons in the church, these character qualifications of a man and his wife are not to be minimized. Again, we must hold to a high standard in order to help protect the church or to serve the church well. And so we would ask all of you to be praying through these things. And as you do, bring names of potential deacons to, to the elders. Explain to them how you see this person, this man, matching up with these qualifications. And again, as you do that, don't expect us to do cartwheels and, and shout hip, hip, hoorays, all right? We're going to take time. We're going to take time to, to process that. It's going to be a slow, calculated process. We want to do it well. So that's for deacons in the church. For you personally, I would encourage you to take some time and go through these things and do some self-evaluation. Just think about these questions in your life. How does this match up? Where do you, where do you see yourself needing some growth? Right? If you don't match all these qualifications perfectly, it doesn't mean you're kicked out of the church. It doesn't mean you're not welcome here. It doesn't mean there's not a place for you to serve. There is a place for you to serve. It just means you aren't going to be a deacon right now. That's okay. But consider these character qualities and ask yourself, which of these areas do you need some improvement on? Where do you need growth in your life and in your walk with Christ? And then pray through it. Talk to others. Look for scripture that would encourage you in those things. Transformation takes time. It's a, a slow, drawn-out process. But this process of transformation and sanctification is, is greatly re rewarding. So I encourage you to, to think those things through in your own life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you have given us uh, a high standard to, to see this morning, to live up to. We know that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. It's only through Christ that this is even possible. It's even possible for us to uh, have salvation, to grow in faith, to grow in these godly characteristics. And so would you, your Holy Spirit, do this work within us. We also ask, Father, that you would lead us as a congregation to find the right men, the qualified men, to serve here at Pine Grove in this office of deacon as we go forward with this process. And so, Lord, we surrender these things to you and pray that it will all be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge this morning is this. <clears throat> Pray over these qualifications. Determine the next step in your continued growth in Christ. Now may God grow each of you in Christ-like character this week so that you may more accurately represent him in the church and the lost souls that you encounter. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.